Hello, world. Welcome to the Mile High Fi Podcast. My name is Carl, and I'm here with my podcast partner, Doug Cunnington. Yeah, so Doug, today we're going to talk about a subject near and dear to my heart, and it's cars. And I say near and dear because growing up, my dad was always a big car person, and as a kid, I remember him teaching me about cars. Like he, he teach me to identify cars. Like, okay, what kind of car is that? And I have to answer, right? Like, okay, dad, that's a 57 Chevy because the taillights are this and this. So I've always loved cars, which I think is a bit of a detriment to a fire life. But with that said, are you a car guy, Doug? Or have you obsessed with cars your whole life like I have? Kind of similar to what you said. My dad was into cars and he worked at a gas station growing up and like had pride in fixing cars and changing his own oil and stuff like that. So I think just because of that, I sort of, just like you said, would look at cars and try to know the, the name and, and the model and uh, the year, all those details. And I, I was really into cars until really I started to you know have to buy them and then realized how expensive it could be. But yeah, I, I have enjoyed them quite a bit and sort of pulled back, like you said, if you are aiming to uh, like this sort of fire life, cars can be an expensive piece of the puzzle if you don't you know do it right or don't understand the trade-offs that you have to you know, approach cars with. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into it, do you have a dream car? Like when you were a kid, did you have a picture of a Lamborghini or Ferrari of 40 on your walls? Or I, I didn't obsess that much, but I think once I got in, into cars and I was probably like a, a teenager, a BMW M3 was oh, sort yeah. of like a modern classic car that I thought was fantastic. It hit the you know, German luxury area and it was fast and well-engineered and all those things. So I, I remember seeing some of those when I maybe like interned in college. So a handful of them were in the parking lot and there was, you know, occasionally you see like the, the, uh, one of the vice presidents would drive their Lotus or some, something exotic on Fridays when the weather was nice or something. Um, but yeah, BMW M3, how about you? Uh, that's an interesting question. Uh, there's a couple. I guess the interesting thing is I actually owned it. It was an Acura NSX. So sports cars for the longest time weren't that well built. They were unreliable. They cost you a ton of money to own. And then Acura came out with this thing called called the NSX, which was a sports car that could keep pace with the Lamborghinis and Ferraris at the time, but had Honda reliability and borrowed actually a lot of parts from the Honda parts bin. So if you had this thing, it wasn't that expensive to maintain. It was a little bit more to insure. We had one for a while. But yeah, it was a great reliable car and people actually used these things as a daily driver, which is unheard of with most sports cars. Like you don't see many Porsches on the in a snowstorm. But I knew a guy who would drive his Acura all year long. He would commute to Denver in this thing, which I personally wouldn't do. But but there you have it. Maybe we'll talk about my ownership of this a little bit later, but it wasn't all I thought it would be. Side question. How fast did you go? What was the fastest you went in that car? Did you ever get it out to the track or anything like that? Unfortunately, I like driving on racetracks and I've done that before, but I never made it to a racetrack with this. It did see, I don't think I ever got it over to a hundred, but oh, Doug, I almost got <laughs> <laughs> I was on the peak to peak highway, which is this beautiful highway up in the, up in the foothills. And I was, 
I was pushing 100. You could go pretty fast in that thing pretty pretty quickly and effortlessly. So I'm, I remember looking at the speedometer and I'm going 95. And I was with another friend. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I better lay off the gas. So I did. Went, got back down to 55. And then a police car passed me. Like, oh. Oh, wow. Yeah. That Man. would have been uh, not a good outcome. And I do not advocate driving fast. The few times I ever did this was in very low traffic situation. Still dangerous and very stupid. If a deer or moose would have popped out, I probably right. would have been dead. Or, But I do not advocate that. But yeah, most of the time I'm pretty cons- okay. I was pretty conservative. So you only got it up to about a hundred? Yeah, only only a hundred. Oh man. I was gonna say, and we'll talk about my vehicle. I've had my truck to like ninety-five. Wow. Like I mean, so I'm I'm a little disappointed to hear that now that you don't own it anymore. But uh sa- safety first, everyone. But at the same time, it's like, come on, man, you had like a very fast car. Like, I, I know, right? I should have pushed it. I'm sorry to let you down, Doug. <laughs> well, I, I like the conservative approach and the safe approach. I mean, that's more my style these days. Um, although it wasn't that long ago when I got to 95. Okay. So thanks yeah. for the detour on that one. And I guess we're going to get into what we're driving now. So do you want to kick it off and talk about um, what we're driving now? And I like the the way you, you form this outline too. Yeah, so neither Doug and I drive very fire, I don't know what the word, what terminology should be like, fire responsible cars or maybe fire approved cars because you, you look online and if you're uh, if you're Mr. Money Mustache, you should ride a bike everywhere or walk. Uh, if you have to have a car, it's going to be some old shitty Honda Civic or, or some old crap thing. And neither of us, uh, we both have older cars, but you have a, a full-size pickup truck, Doug. I do. Yeah. I have a Ford F-150. It's a 2005 and yeah, I love it. It has a V8. So I'm violating so many rules. It's very wasteful. It's big. And I mean, I have ways to justify it, but I mean, anyone can justify just about anything if they review certain facts and ignore others. But yeah, I, I like uh, American cars. I know they weren't as reliable, but it, we grew up driving Ford. So I like to have a Ford if I can. And then we had pickups here and there. I mean, we lived in the suburbs, but we always had a pickup. And it's good to know someone with a pickup for when you have to move a couch or do something. And I, I just, I enjoy having it. Yeah. Sorry, Doug. I'm going to continue to throw you under the, the yeah. bus, the pickup truck a little bit here, but... And and don't judge me when I ask. You're going to throw this back in my face when I actually ask you to borrow. And I need to go pick up a college. Shit, I just thought of this. Maybe I should shut up. Nah, I'm, I'm going to go for it. Let's do it. What percentage of time do you haul stuff in the back of your pickup truck? And groceries are not included. If you've got like a roll of paper towels in back, that doesn't count. I'm talking about rocks, my, my couch in about a week or two, uh, <laughs> or, or some other heavy shit. How, how, how many times a year do you use it to, to haul stuff? Probably less than two percent it i mean almost never right from a practical standpoint almost never oh dog (laughs) but i can't really throw you under the bus too much because i own an suv it's a small one it's a honda element but still it gets like 22 or 24 miles to the gallon that has all the aerodynamics of a brick i mean this is not probably the greatest fire car and we bought it new which you didn't do at least you bought your years used we bought this thing new it was like nineteen thousand dollars and uh it's i guess we bought two cars new but that was the most 
expensive new car we've ever built. I probably haul stuff a little bit more than you in the thing, like just because I'm doing a lot of home construction and you aren't, but I'm thinking it, it won't even fit my couch. So Doug, yeah, I, I, I'll be contacting you. I, I guess you might be out of town, but when you come back from town, I'll, yeah, I'll ask sure. you for a favor. I'll just leave you the keys. You can watch out for it. Yeah. That, that's the thing. I mean, sometimes when we, and I, I see the, the huge flaw in the logic, I haul things occasionally and like I have the option if I need to, but I almost never do that. And I think, I mean, people do that all, all the time. It's sort of like uh, insurance, right? Like you don't need it most of the time, sure. but when you have it, it's that like justifies the 99% of the time that I, I don't need the bed of my truck. Yep. So one cool thing about your truck and one thing I will compliment you on is it's from 2005. So quick math, that's 16 years old. And as we discussed before the show, it was built in 2004. So it's probably more like it's about to turn 17 if it has not already. I read something and correct me if you've heard different, but I think the average person in America keeps their cars seven years. Uh, so which sounds about right. So you've more than doubled that. Yeah. And I, I haven't seen otherwise, but yeah, that, that does seem about right. You know, it starts getting a few more miles. Maintenance is a little more expensive. You have to replace a couple more things that potentially are more expensive. So yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, seven years, someone's like, ah, eh, maybe it's time to upgrade. And I've, you know, reached that point. I don't have a ton of miles on, on the, the truck of only about 130,000 or so. And, you know, you reach that point. I recently had uh, some maintenance done. A lot of, I neglected it, unfortunately. So I had like $2,000 worth of work done and it is cheaper, right? So from a financial standpoint, I was thinking, oh, I could buy a new car, even though I, I probably don't drive enough to warrant it. But a new car, even if I got a used old car, it would be way more expensive than $2,000 of maintenance and I can keep, you know, yeah. moving forward with my, you know, very old truck. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. I've had that same thought. Our helmet needed a new, a new radiator recently and I didn't feel like doing it. So I paid someone and I think I was cursing at the time it was like 500 bucks. Like, oh geez, I got to pay 500 bucks for this. But that's one of the only times we've ever had to pay to have the thing fixed. So at almost 20 years of ownership, that's it. And that's a lot of people who buy new cars have payments that are more than that per month. And the other aspect, I want to ask you about this, Doug, after I tell you what we do for this, but insurance, after a car is paid off, you don't have to have all the comprehensive insurance that covers you. I think that I'm using the right term, the insurance that covers you if you were to cause the accident. So our cars are both old and they're shitty. So they're not worth much. So if we crashed them, they would probably be totaled and they would be it. So we have the very minimal liability insurance or whatever the law requires you to have. And I, I think both our cars are like six or 800 bucks for the entire year to insure. Very cheap. Um, mm -hmm. How about you? Do you have full insurance or do you go with a smaller amount? Exactly what you said. So we have kind of a, a newer CRV as well, a Honda CRV. And when it was more valuable, when it was newer, we had... Um, whatever the comprehensive or yeah, comprehensive and collision. I always get them mixed up, but we had more insurance on that car. But now that it's, you know, much older, hundred thousand miles, we just have the minimum insurance. So yeah, it's roughly, um, you know, 500 bucks for, for, sorry, 500 bucks each. So a thousand dollars total for okay. our household. Sure. For auto insurance. 
Yeah, I think the other value in having an old car is, don't get me wrong, I like to keep my car up, I maintain it very well, and I haven't washed it in a while. I, I used to do that pretty religiously, but they both look kind of shitty now. But if, so when I had the Acura NSX and I went to the grocery store, I would park that thing in another county because I didn't want <laughs> someone to open a door or some kid to shove a shopping cart into it or something like that. So I probably got way more steps and so that was probably actually a benefit. <laughs> But but with our current cars, they're old and, and they're dirty. If someone opens the door and dings it, I'll, I'll be mad, but more for them not caring about my car than our car actually getting a ding. Like, uh, but they're old, so there's value to that. It doesn't really... Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to some of the other conversations, uh, maybe the happiness one, where if someone opens the door into my car, it's probably going to hurt their car more than mine, number one. And it doesn't really matter. I've gotten that first scratch or the first dent a long time ago. In fact, when I bought it, it was already sort of scratched up and you know, you're past that. You don't stress about like that ding or whatever. In fact, I remember someone left a note on my car that they did some damage to it. Like a cart hit it. I looked all around. I couldn't find anything. So I, I never called them or, or checked on what it was that they did because I visually I couldn't find it. I still to this day it's been like ten years. I have no idea what they did. I think the cart maybe just like slammed into it or something, but it was fine. It wow, was fine. That's awesome. So Doug, before we get, I, I want to talk about the cost of cars. But before we get into that, you, you said you're a pickup truck fan. Surely you've seen a picture of the new Tesla Cybertruck. Do you know what this thing looks like? Or I've I've seen a couple. I haven't like looked too carefully. Okay. But um but you know it's very controversial and it looks kind of like a big wedge. Like there's no curves in the body at all. It is all right angles and stainless steel like the old DeLorean. So yeah. what, what what do you think of this thing? You know, I am uh I'm not a fan from what I've seen so far. I'm sure they'll change it up a, a little bit, but maybe they'll stick to it. And I do, I mean, I like, um, some of the classic antique, uh, trucks as well. You know, you see like some older trucks from the sixties or seventies, they look great, especially if they're, you know, well taken care of and all that. And yeah, so not a huge fan. I mean, I, of, of the, the Tesla version of the, the pickup, it'll be interesting. And I think, um, Ford has some, electric version of the F-150 coming out as well. Have you seen any of that? Yeah, I have. I think it's coming out next year too. I'm trying to think of, I was just reading about it. I'm trying to think of how much it's going to cost, but yeah, it should be interesting. Would you consider an electric Ford F-150? I'm not saying next year, but if you could get a used one in 10 years, is that something you would? Oh is yeah. It? You know what? I, I would, uh, I would take a look at it, but also uh, there's a good chance I wouldn't need a we wouldn't need two vehicles. So if my truck completely died, I probably would, cause I, we don't drive that much. I mean, I think that's one of the punchlines we'll hit eventually here, but I think I'm putting like under 2,500 miles per year wow. on my truck. And it has been like that for years. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk more about that. All that to say, sure, if Ford comes out and I could get it for a reasonable price, it could be a pretty fun piece of technology. I mean, currently, it's it's a pretty bare bones truck that I drive. So some modern uh, technology would be very welcome. Okay. Yeah. 
So you, I'm sorry, I, I got to go off on one more tangent and then we'll get to the meat. I apologize, listeners. I just like cars a lot. Have, have you been to the Shelby Museum, kind of Ford related and outside of Boulder there with the, uh, they've no. got some of the original GTs and Shelby Cobras. No, no, I haven't. No, that's only five bucks to get in. You should check it out. So I'm a car guy. I don't, do you know what the Ford GT is? GT4? I do, yeah. Yeah, they came out with a new one and I actually sent an email to Ford wanting to buy the thing and they never responded, but then it came out and it was like, Four hundred thousand dollars. So, but it turns out people are paying over a million dollars. So, if, if they would have sold me one, and if I would have bought it, it probably would have been a, a good, same investment uh, within the same line as cars is uh, always a dangerous thing. But it would have actually been a good investment. But yeah, go to the uh, if you're into old Shelby Cobras and GTs, Mustangs. They've got a bunch of them down there. Only five bucks to get in. It's a, that's awesome. Yeah, frugal Friday. Uh, next time my uh, dad's in town, he would love. To, to check it out. I'm glad you mentioned it because I had no clue. Yeah. Is Shelby like from around here or something? I don't think so. I don't remember how that museum got started, but it's revolving cars, but they have some original Shelby Cobras. There's one that's the, the new trend in cars is not to restore them, to kind of leave them in their original form. And they've got a Shelby Cobra there, or they did when I was there, that still had dirt on it from its racing days. Uh, oh, really? Nice. It's probably a multi-million dollar vehicle at this point. Yeah. Pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, let's talk about the cost of cars. All right. Well, you outlined the true cost of owning your Mazda 5. And I like followed along and calculated everything, which I've never done before. So I'll, I'll let you talk about your uh, sort of case study yeah. for the Mazda 5. Yeah, this, was, this actually surprised me. And I'll tell you why. I want to go through my expenses really quick. This was a Mazda 5, which is a little minivan. My wife's name is Mindy, so I call it the Mindy van. She doesn't like that too much, but <laughs> so be it. So we bought this thing in 2010. It was around $17,000. Uh, we've put $2,000 of tires on it, uh, roughly five new sets of tires. I've spent about $18,000 in fuel. This one kind of was surprising, more than the car costs. It's got 180,000 miles, so I calculated my fuel at $2.50, so we've bought 7,200 gallons of fuel. Uh, we've spent $600 on oil changes, and this is mostly because I use synthetic oil, which is fancier and costs more, but I do them myself. It would probably be at least double that if I paid for oil changes, especially the synthetic. I've done all the maintenance on it myself. The interesting thing about this car is despite the 200, almost 200,000 miles, it's Never had a problem except for brakes. I've done the brakes on it once, the front once, and I just did the rear a couple months ago. And it's a stick shift. It's never had a clutch. The clutch is still fine on it. And the insurance I calculated at about 500 per year because we did finance it. We had to have more expensive insurance when we initially bought it. But yeah, the total, if you add everything up, it came out to about $44,000 or about 24.5 cents per mile. And I know that's way less. What does the IRS give you? I think 56 cents per mile. I think that's right. Yeah. But but I actually thought my per mile cost would be less because it was a cheaper car to begin with. I think even back then in 2010, $17,000 was probably lower than average. It's a cheap car to begin with. The maintenance is very minimal. It doesn't need a timing belt like some cars do. And I've done everything myself. So I thought it would actually be cheaper. I was surprised by how much it was. And I, I thought that 56 cents per mile number was kind of crazy, but I'll bet that's probably pretty accurate, especially now. I think the average new car costs around $30,000. So I was a bit surprised 
at how much I've spent per mile on it. And, sure. And after I did this calculation uh, a couple of days ago, I'm like, shit, I need to uh, get on my bike or walk more because this is like a dollar for every four miles, which isn't much, but it still hurts a little bit. I could buy a, I don't know, I could buy a hot dog from Costco with a dollar fifty for. <laughs> so for every six miles of driving, I could buy a hot dog with, and they give you the drink too. That's lunch, Doug. Lunch. So, how, yeah. Well, the, the bad part is the Costco is so far from here, you'll be spending even more just to get over there. Shit, I got to ride my bike over there. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was very interesting to see the, the, the true calculations. And I ran through with mine as well. And there'll be, you know, some stark differences and quick notes. So you put 180,000 miles on it. You bought it new in 2010. So it's about 11 years old. Yep. Okay, cool. So my truck is a 2005. I bought it with about 30,000 miles on there. I think I paid about 12.5 and this was before I knew anything about finance and I mean I was a couple of years out of school at that point. Do, do you remember how much it would have cost new if you had bought it new? Oh, I think it was probably like 22 or 24,000 okay. something wow, like that. Steep discount. Yeah, tr- I mean trucks are pretty expensive, more expensive than you would think. Cause I always thought, Oh yeah. Cheap little old pickup truck, which I mean, I guess if you look around, you can get a, a smaller one, but they were pretty expensive. So I didn't calculate how much the additional cost uh, from interest and in having a loan was, but I paid it off a little early once I kind of got a hold of everything for tires. Um, I usually get fairly cheap tires. I think I've had a couple sets on needs tires now. So I spent about a thousand on that. I spent, um, just rough calculation about 15,600 on 6,250 gallons of fuel. Same approximation as, um, Carl gave oil, uh, changes roughly $600. So calculated every 5,000 miles and 20 changes roughly at $30 a piece. I don't do my own maintenance or anything like that. Just pay someone to get their hands dirty. (laughs) <laughs> and brakes and other maintenance. So $4,000 there, like I said, I spent about 2000 recently and just over time, uh, brake job here, um, replace fluids, something or other here and there. Um, no, no major issues with it. For insurance, roughly $7,500, same sort of uh, calculation as Carl, 500 a year. And I've had the car for a little bit longer so the total is 41225 or roughly $2,750 per year. And that is 41.2 cents per mile, which is, um, what is that, like 40% higher than what you calculated for your car per on a per mile basis? Were those numbers surprising to you or were they about what you expected? Or They were, you know what, I had no expectation and I thought, well, it's less than the IRS, you know, 56 cents per mile. It's more than yours, which makes sense because it's a a bigger car. I didn't do my own maintenance. I didn't do like any of the things that you could like really save money on. I have not paid attention to. So, so yeah, I I guess I'm, I'm, I don't have a strong impression one way or another because I didn't have any clue. I I never even calculated or thought about calculating the total cost of owning a car. Okay. What interesting thing about these numbers is they should continue to go down over time as we keep our cars 
and that initial purchase price fades into the past, uh, we don't drive that much. So that number is going to slowly go down, which is uh, makes a strong case for keeping these vehicles for as long as we can, as long as they don't have major issues or right. start going crazy. And the part that, that I have looked at before, especially after I started saving, was around the, I guess, opportunity cost that you're giving up or that you have to consider if you buy a new car. So sure, you're getting uh, something potentially that's fun, new technology, um, maybe a little safer. But when you look at investing that money, so I, I looked it up. The average used car payment in 2021 is roughly $400. So if you invested $400 every month for 10 years at an 8% return, it would be worth $73,000. And if you did the same thing for 15 years, that 8% return would be worth $138,000. Those are the time frame. So Carl has had his car for 10 years. I've had mine for 15. And sure, there's some... There's some assumptions in there and we potentially paid some payments here or there, but roughly if you're investing instead of paying for a new car, maybe in the first couple of years, it doesn't make a huge difference, but 10, 15, 20 years down the line, like if I keep driving the shitty truck for a little while for five more years, like compound interest really, really makes it a powerful case. Yeah. So Doug, I'm trying to do these numbers in my head as I watch you. So you had it. 8% return, which is doubling every nine years per the rule of 72. So if you plan on keeping a car for, let's say, 36 years, that's four doublings. I mean, you're talking a million dollars at that point just for keeping your old shitty car and driving it. A million dollars just to drive the Honda Civic instead of whatever new car you might want. That's that's crazy. That's huge. Yeah. And a theme that we've talked about or a specific thing that we've talked about is if you wanted to drive a car or let's say I wanted to go to a racetrack, drive a BMW M3 or M5 or whatever I wanted to drive, I could probably afford it because I haven't you know, bought like new cars every few years or even every seven years, which isn't you know too crazy. No one would really be upset if I was like, oh, I'm going to buy a new car every seven years. But the point is I could go drive awesome cars on a racetrack with like a helmet, safety mechanisms, go fast, do whatever, get it out of my system. And then I don't have to worry about someone uh, opening their door into my M5 at uh, Sam's or something like that. You know, you don't have to worry about it. I wonder how many M5s there are in the Sam's parking lot. No. About more than you... <laughs> Think because you spent all the money on the car, so now you need to save on the toilet paper. That, that's that's true. But then when you're, I don't know how much M5s cost these days or M3s or whatever, but some of the full-size pickup trucks are insanely expensive. I mean, you're maybe paying, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 for a big truck outfitted with everything. I mean, they're like luxury vehicles yeah. with a bed in the back. Isn't it crazy? Like, I remember when I was a kid, my dad was a blue-collar construction guy and like him and all his friends had pickup trucks, but they were filled in the back with tools and there was a cap on it. Now pickup trucks have conformed into status symbols. And I think this this is a nice segue into what we're going to talk about next. Cars are interesting in that they've become this, uh, I remember as a kid, BMWs were the ultimate driving machine. So you, you would buy a BMW, you'd have a stick shift and that was 
to take on the track or you could take corners hard with that really good suspension and all that fast engine. But, but now the same car is driven by people who I, I don't think appreciate the German engineering and handling characteristics. They've become like the pickup trucks, something you want to be seen in, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, definitely. So there's a lot of value in not giving a shit what you think other people think of what you drive. A a ton of value if you're okay driving the the Honda Civic. You're going to, you might not look as cool to the neighbors, but if they're judging you that you drive the Honda Civic, I don't think they're worth your time anyway. And it's it's really interesting because depending on where you live, the status symbols will be a little different for the vehicles, right? So I've lived in Georgia, the metro area there. So a lot of, you know, the luxury German cars, that sort of thing. Some of the luxury uh, uh, Japanese cars, which we're going to talk about in a second here. Um, but when I lived in Montana, then it was like the big pickup trucks. So not like my truck was a small one there. So like the average truck was like a 250 or 2500 size. And it was not unusual to see like the, the 350s and, you know, e- even bigger because people are using it to do ranch things and whatever. Um, so yeah, it's very interesting. And your reference point and context and the framing of all this is like who you're hanging around with, you know? So if we bumped into somebody and, and met them and they had like a super fancy car, we could appreciate the engineering, but probably, I mean, we're human. Probably we're going to think uh, about judging them for having an expensive car <laughs> for, cause, cause that, you know, we're, we have justified having our crappy cars. So like if you extend it, not I'm speaking for you now, so correct me if I'm wrong, but if you extend it a little bit and then someone has a nice car, well, they're doing the opposite. So I think it's natural for people to judge. We're human. That's I'm just saying we're human. It's okay if you judge people. And I know other people judge us for driving what we drive. So, and I've had the expensive car, so I often judge myself, judge myself (laughs) and audience, you're free to judge me too. But the geographic status thing is an interesting point. I was listening to this other financial podcast called Animal Spirits, and they were having this exact same conversation. And one of the hosts of that show, uh, Michael Batnick, lives in Long Island, and he was saying the status car there is a Land Rover everyone's got. And I think he might have even said black Land Rovers. And then you think about California or Boulder, and it's the that they call it the California Camry, which is a Tesla. So that is the status car in those. But here I'd say where we live, it's the pickup truck in, in the Midwest, in Chicago, corporate America. It was the German car at the time. Okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of interesting. I, I told you the story how my boss told me I had to buy a different car if I ever wanted to get married. And the car I had to buy, according to her, if I ever wanted to attract a mate, was a, was a BMW 3 Series. And she bought that. I didn't. She got a divorce. I'm, I'm not divorced. So <laughs> make, she was a good person. Uh, if you're ever listening to this old boss, I, I loved you. You were a great boss. But... <laughs> Uh, I'm sure maybe you wouldn't give that same advice now, but yeah. Oh yeah. So we were talking about sort of the status that one can obtain or that people are after from uh, the cars. And you brought up a a good point here in our outline about rebadging. So can you tell us about rebadging and like, what does that even mean? Yeah. And I, I even owned a rebadged car myself. So this Acura NSX thing came out. It was a fancy sports car, but the interesting thing was it was only called the Acura NSX in North America. And so this car was made by Honda. So if you bought this thing in any other part of the world, 
It was called a Honda. So what I, I think the Japanese probably figured out sometime in the 80s is you, you could take a Honda. So I remember the original, some of the original exa examples of this were the Honda Accord and the Toyota Camry. Oh, I've got a funny story to tell you about this. So I knew someone who had this car called a Lexus ES250. So this person comes to a party and I'm standing there talking to a friend and this person's like, hey, look at my new Lexus. And this other guy who was much more abrupt and much less tactful than I am says, well, that's actually just a, a Toyota. She's like, no, it's a Lexus. It says Lexus right on there. He's like, well, what Toyota does is they, they take their Camry, they put leather seats in there, make it a little bit nicer. And then they take the Honda badge off or they take the Toyota badge off it. They put a Lexus badge on it and sell it to you for, for $10,000 more as a status symbol. And her response was, but it's a Lexus, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny because in, in a lot of cases, that's what happens. The Honda Accord becomes an Acura TSX. Sometimes the engine will be a little bit tuned up or it'll always have the fancy interior, maybe a fancier sound system, but it's the bones of it are the same basic car. And I always thought it was kind of amusing that when, mm -hmm. uh, when I'd see this and happen, including my wayward friend back in the day. Right. When we have a Honda CRV 2011 and we were house sitting for some friends and they had an Acura, I think it was a, was an, is it the RDX? Yeah, the RDX yeah, is a smaller one. So it, it's exactly what you're talking about. It's the same size. Everything is pretty much the same, but exactly what you said, right? So we just have a four cylinder. I don't even think, we have like no options for the CRV as far as other engines. It's just like that four cylinder. And I think there's either it was a four cylinder turbo or yeah, it must've been a four cylinder turbo. So driving on the highway, huge difference, major difference in the amount of power. And, you know, the CRV is fine. We, we like it, but when you do sit in the RDX, the Acura version, it was more comfortable, especially for long drives. Like everything just kind of fit together a little better. I like it felt and looked nicer. So I can appreciate, you know, the difference in the luxury and it all depends on what's valuable to you. But when we sat in their car, I was like, this is nicer. This is like clearly nicer. I don't know if it's worth, you know, $18,000 more like, or however much more it cost. But yeah, when I sat down, you could tell immediately, this is a more comfortable seat. This leather, much nicer. So, Is your CRV, does it have a leather interior? It does, yeah. Leather interior and yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's like the EX uh, four-wheel drive or, or uh, all-wheel drive rather. Yeah. yeah. And when I say this, we're probably going to get some mean comments. And for me being a judgmental asshole, and maybe I am, I'm probably willing to put up with more crap than the average person. I, I remember a neighbor got a got a car. I'm like, well, what happened with your other one? She's like, well, the heat went out and it would have cost like a thousand dollars. And I didn't say this to her at the time, but I'm like, shit, I just would have like worn my jacket in the car. But I realize that's a compromise that most yeah. might not be willing to put up with. I think she should have just gotten fixed for the eight hundred dollars or whatever it would have cost. But that's cheaper than buying a new car, you know, because you have to get. Uh, potentially more expensive insurance. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you. So, okay. I, I think your, your CRV, I think it's a nice segue to our next point. Cause one thing I think about cars is how much better they've gotten. Like, uh, I, I was in the car one time and 
I think Mindy was next to me. So I, I did this symbol. I'm doing the rolling down the windows with your arm symbol. And my younger kid was like, dad, what are you doing with your arm? I'm like, I'm rolling down the window. She's like, dad, what does that mean? And it, I realized at that time, she's never seen a car that you have to do that roll down with a window thing. Like all cars, even the cheapest, the cheapest econo box you can buy, I think has the electric windows and as a kid, my parents wouldn't buy cars with air conditioning because that was always an option too. But most, even the cheapest Econo box now, as far as I know, is going to come with air conditioning. Mm-hmm. In your CRV, like the, the cheap Honda thing has leather seats, air conditioning, power windows, and all that. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you're taking taking a jab at me here personally, but uh, <laughs> my my F-150, it's, it's more like a work truck. It's a STX trim line. So that's that's pretty low. Um, I think there's only one more below it. And so I don't have power locks or power windows in my truck. Wait, Doug, you actually have to reach over if you want to lock the, and that's a big car. So you probably have to, I have to undo my seatbelt and like crawl across. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, it's a luxury when I rent a car and even if it's the crappiest Econo box, like you're saying, has power locks, power windows, like all these fantastic new features. So, Doug, if I borrow your truck to move my couch, I'm going to stick my younger child in there and have her show her what life used to be like, like when we were children. It's different. Yeah, there there are seat belts in there though, because I know when you know growing up, sometimes the back seat didn't have seat belts, right? Yeah, I mean, the front would just have a lap belt. Like, <laughs> yeah. who, who cares if your head hits the steering? Wheel? Yeah, oh, yeah. Man. So moving into the the new versus used argument, and I mentioned I bought uh, my my truck used, and I it was just about to go out of warranty, and you know. The, a lot of the depreciation was out of the way at that point. So um, the new cars, of course, are a lot more potentially more reliable and safe. So that was one of the factors when my wife upgraded to that CRV. Her car was, you know, getting a little older and we thought, ah, we're going to keep it for a while. Um, we'll go ahead and, and buy something new. But yeah, what's your take on some of the new versus used? Yeah. So one thing I thought about on the way over here to record with you today, Doug, is we got we got a loan on our Mazda when we bought it, but we didn't have to. We went in there and we're like, hey, we'll pay cash. What's your best deal? Da, da, da. And the guy's like, well, you could pay cash, but we're offering 0% financing right now. And I'm like, done. Like, So if you could buy a new car, and you get that kind of financing. And I don't think the same deal may be available to you for a used car. So I know the FI camp is big in the in the used car camp. But the other thing I've noticed recently, especially during COVID, is used car prices have gone up a lot. And they're not the same. You'll probably still save a little bit if you buy a new one. But I'm not necessarily in the you must buy a used car camp. I think if you could get a new one at 0%, and you're going to keep it forever. I think there might be a little bit of value in there. The other thing is, I can think of two examples of this in my personal life, is there's a lot of people who, uh, the first thing I do when I buy something, a TV or a car, is I, I break out the, the manual and I read the thing. Like I'm probably the one human in the world who reads that 219-page car manual. And I look at the maintenance thing, I'll, I'll, and I actually print the thing out and put it on my garage. But there are two people in my life who didn't know that you had to change the oil on a car. And I, I don't know where these people come from because I thought that was just basic knowledge. But one actually had the, 
the engine sees up after like 27,000 miles of ownership or I don't know how many he actually got out of before, before the engine seized up and, and you hear about it. It's called a sludge because your, your oil will transform into this other thing called sludge and then your engine will just die. So I kind of worry about that if I, and there's ways to mitigate that with buying a used vehicle, just ask for service records, especially if the thing has been maintained, the dealership they maintain it at, which is probably an error, but great if you're buying the used car, dealerships cost a lot of money. But the dealership will have a record and you can verify that. But if you buy a new car, you're going to have that thing your entire life, its entire life, and you'll be you'll know exactly what has happened to it or what hasn't happened to it. And if you can get that 0% financing, all the better. What's what's your thought on used versus new, Doug? I think, yeah, kind of what you said. I mean, not too long ago, my, I guess it's been a few years now, my dad bought a new Explorer and exactly what you said. 0% financing and why not do it? He wanted to get a new Explorer, bells and whistles. And, you know, at some point you don't have to be as stringent and strict on yourself. And if you enjoy a new car and you want to be the the first one sitting in it, that makes sense to me. If it's important to you, that makes sense to me. That said, I mean, I, I do, I do like the idea of getting rid of the depreciation and like getting essentially a pretty new car that maybe only, maybe has like less than 50,000 miles on it. Like that, that makes sense to me too. And I think especially depends on what you're used to. Right. So I have this old truck, no power locks, no power windows. If I got a car that was used and it had 50,000 miles and it was a reasonable trim line, it would feel so luxurious compared to what I'm driving. So it depends on what you're used to. I bought the CRV new. So we bought that brand new. My wife kind of wanted to treat herself. And this was around the time when it was like 20, 2011. So dealerships were active online. It was easy to sort of like look and see um, inventory. So we lived in the Atlanta area, big metro area, a few million people, a lot of car dealerships, tons of them. So we scoped out the, the story is how we bought a new car and it was pretty enjoyable. So said no one in the history of the world. Right. So I, I turned it around and I think at this point in time, I was, I was thinking, all right, I, I, I don't necessarily like to negotiate, but like, is there a way that we can do this to make it work? So it was really fun. So I, we, we scoped out exactly what we wanted, the trim line, and we knew what we wanted. We knew we wanted a new vehicle. So it removed any variables of a used car in different quality or mileage or whatever. So new car, specific trim line, pretty common one. I went online and contacted each of these dealerships. Say it was about 12 of them. Cause there's, again, there's a lot of them. So contacted them, let them know exactly what I wanted, told them I wanted to be contacted by email. I didn't, I didn't want them to call me. I told them I was contacting all the dealerships in the area and that they should get back to me within say 24 hours with their best deal. And there's not going to be many rounds. We have cash. We're going to pay for the car. We're buying a car very soon. And if you call me, you're out. If you don't follow the rules, you're, you're out. So I, and I let them know that they're competing against the other Honda dealerships in the area. So 
some of them didn't get back. Some people called me and, you know, again, they're out. We ended up with two or three that had competing offers. I let them know, hey, you're in the top running. Come back with your best offer. I'm not going to go back and forth. So it kind of removed any of the BS of like sitting with a car salesman and a car salesman that's like going back to the manager, checking to see what they can do and just kind of jerking you around and wasting your time. So at that point, you know, we had cash or whatever we were going to pay. We didn't want them to consider anything. We, we had a trade-in, but we didn't want to tell them about the trade-in. So they had very little information other that we wanted to buy a car. They had it in stock and they were competing. We also knew the trade-in value from like CarMax if we were going to go take the old car that we were trading in. So we we had all of the information that we needed. Okay, so I'll pause here. Do you have any questions so far? Uh, my one question for you is, did you know what you should pay for it beforehand? I know you can look at the invoice price, but then there's things called holdbacks, which are which is money the dealers the manufacturer gives back to the dealership for the sale of a car. So did you research any of that for you? We, we may have known the invoice type price, but I don't recall the terminology of a holdback. Okay. So I don't, I don't think we, I don't think we investigated that now. Okay. So that said, so people do that, like understand the holdback because that could be pretty valuable too. I I think I was hoping, I think I knew something like that existed, but I was hoping through the competition that it would flush it down. Because I know they have to make a little bit of money, right? Sure. I understand that. So we um, identified this uh, dealership and we basically like had everything in line. We agreed on a price before we even went down there. So again, removing any of these variables, because we didn't want to you know, drive across town and then have to uh, go to another dealership and all that stuff. So we had it all lined up. Once we sat down and started getting out paperwork for the sale, then we told them, hey, well, we have a trade-in here. And they're like, oh, you didn't tell us about the trade-in. Oh, good grief. So they had to factor that in. They lowballed us. And we said, you know what? we need at least this amount because we know we can go to CarMax and trade it in for this. So they're starting to get pissed off along the way here. So we uh, didn't need any of their financing, another area that they could make money. We had the trade in that we told them about at the last minute. So that kind of screwed up some of their other variables too. And by the end, they were um, upset with us and they didn't like us and we got the car and it was fantastic. So I think we, we win, right? If, if you make the car dealership upset and they don't want to work with you anymore, like <laughs> you've done a good job. Now, the one thing that came up there that, uh, kind of surprised us when you sit down to buy a car, even if you're not getting a loan, they were in a credit check on you. And I'm like, what the fuck? We're, we have the money. Like we huh. could, uh, and they're like, no, we have to do it. And maybe it's something you could push back on. But at that point of the day, we were, we're like, all right, fine. We'll give you our social security numbers so you can run a credit check. But, um, and maybe actually if people know if, if that's uh, bullshit, like I'd be interested, but yeah, we were not borrowing money. They were like, oh, we have to do it for some other thing. 
So huh, I have heard of that before they allow you to test drive the car. Did you test drive it or? Did oh, we did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that. I've heard dealerships make you do that if you want to test drive it. I don't know if it's just maybe uh, their insurance company requires, like what would they do if you had really, okay. but I wonder what would they do if, if they pulled the credit and it was really shitty, would they just not let you test drive it at that point or so? Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. Yep. So that's how we got the, the new car. And I mean, we'll probably drive that Honda for and potentially, you know, 10, 15 more years. It only has a hundred thousand miles on it right now. Yeah. So, okay, cool. Yeah. I, I think that brings us to our next point. Well, I guess before we get to that, uh, any other, I'm trying to think if I had to buy a new car, what I would do it when we did car, when we did buy cars, we did something similar to you. We knew exactly what we wanted. I don't think I was as strict as you. We probably paid more than you. Next time I'm going to hire you to purchase my car, <laughs> but we knew exactly what we wanted, especially with the element. Mindy wanted an orange one. And we wanted a stick shift and we wanted a certain trim level. And they had some inventory checker. And it was like, we had to drive like 120 miles to get the stupid thing. Uh, so we probably lost some negotiating leverage there. But we did the same thing. We did everything online. And I don't like talking to people on the phone. I'm like, yeah, here's my email. Can you please just email us back with your best offer? It was still frustrating. You get there and they've got the guy in the back room. What do they call it? The, the finance and I guy. What does the I stand for? I can't remember, but that's, I don't know if you went through this with your CRV, but they try to sell you all kinds of undercoatings and floor mats and all kinds of bullshit. Oh yeah. Those things are pure profit at that point. Yep. And I mean, I have gotten more of a, I've become more of an asshole as I've gotten older. Maybe that's a natural progression, but you know, as they're trying to sell that stuff, I just cut them off. I'm like, I'm not going to buy any of this stuff. Like stop asking these questions. So I'm like more rude yep. and you know, I'm the customer, right? So don't make this a hassle. So I'm very, yeah, much more abrupt. And in fact, a whole other story, we'll talk about housing. I'm sure at some point, but we bought this house new and everyone is a salesperson along the way until you hit the warranty person and they present themselves as not salespeople, but helpful individuals. And, uh, you know, if I end up buying a new home again, I'm going to be one of the worst people to deal with. Cause I've, I've just been jerked around and I see like, Oh, here's my leverage points. I made a mistake at this spot previously. And I made some mistakes buying cars in the past where, yeah, they would, like, well, you really do need that rust-proof undercoating whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, well, it does buy peace of mind, you know, hey, for that under undercarriage to rust. I mean, we don't, yeah. So anyway, yeah, those people exist. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did they get you to buy the extended warranty or anything like that when you got the CRV? No. Okay. No, good, good. Yeah, I yeah. was hoping that would be your no, answer. No, I, I never get any of those extended warranties. Yeah. yeah. And this is a kind of life philosophy of mine. Like I want to buy a quality product up front and then uh, I'll take care of it. So I would never have to use any warranty at all. Like we never, either of our two cars that we bought new, we never even used the warranty that came with the car. I mean, yeah. And half the time, uh, anytime I've had like uh, some warranty that I've added or whatever, they don't cover anything that you actually would need or they're, they're 
they're just going to cover a portion of it and then maybe the parts, but the labor is like 90% of the cost. So, and not specifically with cars, but, um, yeah, just warranties typically are a big hassle. Yeah. They're all, they're all <laughs> bullshit. Like you said, anything that goes wrong, funny how that works out is not covered or it breaks the month after the warranty ends. Yeah. So let's talk about cars. So the, what the audience should be asking now is if they were to ask us, what kind of car they should buy, what we would say. And before we do that, I want to tell you a, a little story how I learned all the bad words in life. Uh, my parents were big by American people too. And Detroit had some dark days. And my parents would buy these old used things. The one I remember the most was the Chevy Citation, which was, uh, do you remember that car, Dogger? I, I know the name, but I, yeah, we... Uh, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> Google, there was not the high period for Detroit engineering. And my dad would be working on these cars probably every other weekend under the hood, just yelling swears. We'd be in the house and we'd hear, I think the garage was like a megaphone amplifying his <laughs> profanity like coming out like, oh, that's interesting. My mom actually told me in my first word was the F word. And it came when my dad was working on on, on one of our beaters. Now in play company, she'll she'll tell people my first word was car, but apparently in real life it was fuck because my dad said it. And then I... <laughs> Instantly repeated it. But the point I'm, I'm going to make now is, and this alludes to something you mentioned earlier, is uh, is American cars are great now. All cars are pretty much the same quality. They learned their lesson. The Japanese came in with quality cars, oil embargo. And now I would expect any modern car, any car you can buy that's made within the past five or six years to go for 200,000 miles with, with, with good maintenance and not costing you a fortune. Do you have any thoughts on that? Agree a hundred percent. Yeah. And I think American cars did have some, you know, crappier years and, you know, must've been like what in the late, late sixties, the seventies and maybe early eighties. But yeah, I don't know how, I don't have an expectation for my truck. I think the challenging part would be if I actually drove it another hundred thousand miles or so, I think it could probably handle it. And I mean, the one thing with the F-150, it's a platform and engine that has been around for a pretty long time. So they worked out the kinks. I think one thing to look out for, let's say Ford comes out with some, uh, or fill in the blank, any company comes out with some new engines, the first few years may be a little rough. They're not sure how it's going to handle um, you know, years of driving. So the platform of the 2005 F-150, you know, it's been around for a little while. So yep, yeah, most cars are going to go, what'd you say? 200,000 miles? Oh, easily, easily. Like even a, a lowly Kia Optimar, whatever the hell the cheapest Kia is to uh, a fancy car, any car should go 200,000 miles now. So you can't go wrong with pretty much any car. So, well, uh, I won't say that the irony to this whole thing is a lot of times the most expensive luxury cars actually are the most expensive to own. The parts are going to cost more and the maintenance is going to be a little bit more. Uh, I've got a friend who owns a, a Porsche and it's pretty new. A beautiful car, great car. No knocks on Porsche, but to take that thing to the, the dealership to have regular maintenance done is astronomical. And I know some of the, the Euro brands and oil change can cost 200 bucks because of the way they do it. Like, ah, no, thank you. Wow. That's insane. Well, and then I like road trips traveling. And if I'm driving around in my old truck, I can pretty much roll into any garage in the country, 
they're going to be able to fix it. There's nothing weird going on. It's a very, it's one of the most common cars on the road, trucks on the road. And uh, yeah, if you show up with a Porsche and you're in the middle of nowhere in uh, South Dakota, North Dakota, wherever, right? Somewhere remote, you may have a little trouble getting them to do anything on your car. So that's another. Yeah, uh, there's definitely something to that. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of the minimally, I call it the MVP, the minimal viable product. You use that term in software too, but for cars too, I'd, I started thinking about this right when I, I first met Pete, a.k.a. Mr. Money Mustache, our Longmont neighbor. We were talking about cars and he asked me how I like the Mazda. I'm like, well, it's pretty great, but in the mountains, it really sucks. Like I'm the guy in the right lane doing 45 and the engine spinning like crazy and that's as fast as it'll go. And he's like, well, that that's actually a, a pretty good thing. And I'm like, well, why is that? He's like, well, do you drive in the mountains often? I'm like, no, hardly ever actually. He's like, well, it's perfect for the driving you do. You're mostly commuting with it. You're driving around town. So it's ridiculous to have something with a huge engine. Sorry, Doug, a V8. Yeah. <laughs> when you're when that when the percentage of driving that that thing would actually be valuable is like one or two percent versus your daily driving, if you're driving a V8 to King Supers, the grocery store every day, you're just wasting a lot of fuel. So you should get the car that does what you need it to do and nothing more. And I think there's a lot of value to that. Yes, I agree. It is a little wasteful to have a V8 to go <laughs> to the uh, the store down the street. So. <laughs> Damn, talk, talk is, oh man, this might be our last podcast. I know, I know. Well, and I, I think um, maybe we could hook it up where Pete and I debate why it's good for me to have a V8 truck. So I think I'll lose, but uh, that could be an interesting, interesting conversation. And again, it'll actually enhance your community because everyone needs to know someone who has a pickup truck and that person better like you, which you might not anymore after this conversation, <laughs> but I hope you still do. And I, I hope it'll haul my couch. And well, one tip, if, if you ever borrow your friend's car, fill it up with gas. Like, that's the least you can do. That's a, that's a dick move not to. Uh... Yeah. And, you know, it's it's more expensive for my uh, my truck. It's like a 22, 23-gallon tank. So yeah. I, I really appreciate it a lot when you fill it up. But, D- Doug, I will fill your car <laughs> up with gas after I haul my couch. After, not even before. So you Are you really getting a couch? Yeah. Okay. I was like, this seems really specific. And, um, yeah, you could borrow it. That's okay. cool. Appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> All right. So MVP, you got this four cylinder. It does the job 99% of the time. Yeah. Get something that's safe. Get something that's modern. Uh, most new cars are safe too. Every car has a million airbags in it now. They're not the death traps that they used to be. So people often throw that out there as an excuse. I need my, my mega yacht for safety. I don't want to be in an accident. And that is true. Uh, a Ford Expedition is going to be a lot safer than a Mini. Uh, on the other hand, uh, a Mini is a lot easier. I like to look at the maneuverability and avoidance of accident in the first place. Mm-hmm. Doing things like snow tires and things like that. But even a Mini is going to be safe. With that said, I would not want to get into a head-on collision with your F-150. So no. score one for you, Doug. Yeah. All right. So you have some favorites for your MVP for different applications. Yeah. I'm curious to see what you hear of these or if you have a differing opinion. So a lot of my neighbors have a Nissan Leaf and that's actually you know, an electric car, but electrics are really nice because they're, they're very simple. There's nothing to maintain on it. And you're not even going to have to do the brakes on it because 
when you hit the brake pedal or let off the gas, and a lot of them nowadays, gas is the wrong word, let, let off the electrons. I, I don't know what the term is. So what happens is the motor of the car engages and it turns into a generator to charge the battery and that slows the car. So if you drive in, a, in, a, in an electric car carefully, you're never going to have to do pretty much any maintenance on it. Uh, the knock against a Nissan Leaf is they don't have great range. So if you got to drive 100 miles a day, this is not the car for you. But if you just need a hauler to take your kids to school or to get groceries, this is a, a a great car. I really like the ideas of electric. I'm putting solar panels on my roof. I was, I'm going back to my fuel thing. I've spent $18,000 on gas. Mm. It's going to cost me less than $10,000. Again, I'm DIYing this, so it's a lot cheaper than if I paid someone. But those solar panels, panels are going to give me free fuel for my future electric car. But yeah, a Nissan Leaf, a great a car for short short commuting. If you mm -hmm. needed to commute longer, I would say get some kind of uh, gas burner, a Civic, or maybe a Camry or an Accord if you need to, if you want a little bit more space. And for hauling stuff, an old Honda Odyssey, which is uh, what Mr. Money Mustache has, or, or maybe a Honda Element, I can actually wedge a four by eight sheet of drywall in there. I can't sit flat like your Mr. Fancy Ford F-150 can do. <laughs> so you've got that on me, but I can stick it in there. Uh, these cars are cheap, especially the Odysseys. Interestingly, the Elm has been kind of a, become kind of a cult car. I have people leaving notes on my windshield. This has happened multiple times offering to buy it, which is kind of strange, but they only made it for a certain amount of time and now they're a cult thing. So what, what, <clears throat> what's your opinion, Doug? What kind of car would you get if you're I briefly looked at the Leafs because there's actually quite a lot of Leafs around Longmont here. So I was seeing them more often and knowing I don't drive a ton, usually it's the, the short commute. I kind of looked around and I mean, you can get them on the used market for like under, you know, eight, $9,000, not that many miles. People are not going on like really long trips. So yeah, I, I briefly looked at those, but kind of back to our, our point, but buying a, anything new would probably be more expensive than just maintaining what I have. Now, now that we've calculated how much it actually costs for me to drive and own my truck, there's a bit of an argument there. But at the same time, like we talk about, you have different values and I feel good getting into my truck every now and then, like makes makes me happy. Yeah. So, um, but a Nissan Leaf seems like a really solid choice for the kind of driving I do 90% of the time. Now, the other side of that is I said, I like road trips. So I've driven my truck like to and from Montana several times and then back to Georgia several times too. And with an electric car, obviously you don't have that, um, option. Uh, you do. You just have to sit there for longer while it charges. And right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, with the the Teslas, you can get some much faster charging. And I, I haven't looked at any of the electric um, like charging timeframes for like a Leaf. But yeah, I suspect you would have to sit around for a while. Yeah, you would. Um, one thing I want to mention is you're a Ford fan. Have you seen the new Ford Mustang Mach-E? The electric Mustang, which is doesn't it's a, more of a crossover vehicle. No, no, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, I, I don't even know anything about it. Oh, geez. I saw one here yesterday in Longmont. So it's got the name Mustang on it, but it's not a car. It's like a kind of like a CRV actually type vehicle. Oh, shit. Uh, you know what? I may have seen it. Uh, is, was it a black one? Is it around here? Like, um, you saw it on the road, right? Yeah, I saw okay. it on the road. I've seen a blue one and a white one. They're 
if you look at the grill, they have a solid grill, so you'll know exactly that it's something weird you're looking at when you see it. Okay. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to check that out. That's yeah, cool. That could be a future solution for you, Doug. Get me out of that V8. No, uh, no, I like your V8, Doug. I take everything <laughs> I said back. I take it all back, and uh, yeah, like I said, I've got a couch I need to help. <laughs> but let's talk about the future of transportation a little bit because this is kind of fascinating. I probably pay attention to this stuff a little bit more than Doug, but a, a lot of people, like a lot of big tech is working on autonomy, which are cars that drive themselves. Uh, I, I think the New York Times broke the article. This, this was probably five or six years ago now, but there were these strange cars driving around Silicon Valley with these big spinning things on top. And, and the New York Times comes out with this article that says, hey, Google is working on a car that could drive itself. Uh, and since then, Tesla started to work to work on this, and I know a lot of the Chinese companies like Baidu and uh, what's the uh, there's a Russian one, Yandex. I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names, but they're all working on autonomous cars. And when this story first broke, I remember reading that the Google guy in charge of it, I forget his name now, was like, "Yeah, this is going to be out in like four years," and it's been over four years now. And I actually don't think they're that close, but someone will figure it out, and I have a feeling they'll figure it out maybe around 2025. And what this means is, let's back up a second. If you take an Uber, Uber or Lyft now, the number one expense is the driver, is the human behind the vehicle. So once you eliminate the driver, the trip becomes way cheaper. So what's going to happen when autonomous cars come online is it's going to be far cheaper to just use a robo-taxi to pull up an app on your phone. Hey, car, I need to go to King Supers. The car will say, okay, I'll be there in five seconds. This car with no one in it shows up. You jump in the back. It drops you off. You're done shopping. You call up another car. It picks you up and drives you home. It's going to be a lot cheaper to do that than to actually own a car. So I wonder, and there's going to be people who always want to own cars, but there's a Stanford professor who talks about this name, Tony Siba. He said, when robo-taxis come online, it's going to be 10 times cheaper to take a robo-taxi than it will be to to own a car. And whenever something is 10 times cheaper in society, that thing always ends up dominating and it happens pretty quickly. So I wonder if we're at the end of car ownership in this, uh, in five years, we'll be pulling this podcast because it won't be relevant anymore. It'll be longer <laughs> than five years, but. Yeah, I, I didn't know that uh, sort of economic formula 10 times cheaper and so on. But I, I could see that being really convenient because I mean, I have my truck out of convenience, not out of necessity. I don't commute anymore. I haven't in years, which is why the mileage is so low and I just don't drive much, but not having to worry about it, no insurance, no fuel, all those details. Occasionally, you know, doing a road trip, you're going to have to figure some other solution out. But yeah, the convenience of calling up a robo taxi seems fantastic. Yeah. Especially if you're in an urban environment where you'll have to pay hundreds of dollars to to park your car and pay a lot more for insurance because accidents are, are more frequent. And in those kind of environments, people are more used to taking the subway or a taxi or whatever anyway. So I really do think this is the future. I think... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Musk talked about it being out like in 2017 or 2018, and here we are in 2021, and I think they're closer now, but still nowhere near close to widespread development. Like I said, if I had to say it, 2025 for maybe full level five autonomy that can drive in snow and 
nail all these edge cases. I hope I'm wrong and I hope it comes sooner because driving my children to school every day and picking them up is a pain in the ass. And <laughs> I'd, I'd like the car to do that. But Doug, with that said, I hope you keep your truck at least until I, I get my <laughs> get couch. The, get the couch. Yeah. It'll be around for a little while. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Any other thoughts on uh, cars or transportation in general? Yeah. So one big closing thought. So in the fire community, people always debate all these different expenses. Like if if I just didn't buy a latte every day or if I stopped going out to lunch, blah, blah, blah. And I think all those arguments are kind of stupid and you're kind of looking at the wrong thing. The, the two things you really have to get right if you really want to fire is housing and cars. We'll talk about housing at some future point, but but cars can be a huge expense. If you buy a new car now, you're going to be saddled with a payment of probably five or six hundred dollars a month, which you pointed out that great example, how much money that can turn into in just 10 years. And you're also going to be saddled with higher maintenance costs, higher insurance costs. So there's a lot of value in keeping a car uh, for a long period of time. Yeah. And that said, you know, probably most powerful leverage points, housing and automobile. You don't have to have it perfect though. So I have a foreclosure in my history and I have a truck that is not optimized for value in any capacity. So you don't have to get everything perfect. You just have to get a few things right most of the time, which I, I mean, I think in life, that's probably pretty close. No one's going to get everything perfect, but just don't don't mess up too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Don't mess up too bad. And if you just have that four-cylinder Honda Civic and you go out and buy a couch, just when you need to bring that couch home, rent a pickup truck or or keep, I think there's a famous Shakespeare quote, which I think about often, keep good friends close. And I'll modify that. Keep good friends with pickup trucks close. Once in a while, I'll bring them a stake, which I'm going to do for, for Doug and May, maybe as partial <laughs> payment for his truck. But yeah, have a friend with a pickup truck or join a co-working space that has a trailer. Yeah, there's a, a few solutions for it. So awesome, man. This is a good episode. Yeah, thanks, Doug. We'll catch you on the next one. Oh, you know what? Before we go... I even put notes on here, but we forgot to tell you to join the Mile High Fi Club. That's our email list. Good grief. I put these bright post-it notes on here and we still blew right past it. Next episode, we're doing it in the first third. All right. We got to remember. So this is our email list. We'll send out things we're thinking about. We'll let you know about episodes that are coming out soon. And occasionally coming up, we will... Uh, ask for questions that we'll answer live. Any Anything else that uh, we do in the email list? Yeah, no, I think that's about it. Does membership in the Mile High Fi Club come with use of a pickup truck for when you have to haul your couch? <laughs> it does it. <laughs> no, you're potentially eligible for uh, thinking about it, but that, that's about it. Yeah, our, we'll, we will have a pickup truck giveaway, but that'll be in 10 years from now when uh, Spotify has paid us $100 million for the podcast like they did with Joe Rogan. Yeah, I, either there's some kind of crazy inflation going on or Spotify has made some weird choices. <laughs> All right, to join the Mile High Fi Club, no truck borrowing included. <laughs> Mile High Fi Club? No, milehighfi.club. Yes, that's right. There's a link in the show notes and description.